The Lifestylist, episode 188, featuring Kelly Roman. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast is brought to you by my friends over at Juve. So for the past year or so, I've been doing something called photobiomodulation. That's a super geeky term for using red light therapy. And Juve make a device that is hanging right here next to me in my podcast studio that I use just about every damn day. In fact, most days I use it twice a day. So why would you want to use red light therapy? Well, just like a whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, sunlight can also be broken down into different colors. And just like the nutrients in whole food, each color and sunlight has its own effect on our bodies. So once absorbed into your body, light energy is converted into cellular energy, which kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP. And red light therapy has even been approved by the FDA, and its effectiveness has been studied throughout the world. So here's why I use the Juve red light therapy device on the reg. Repairs sun damage, which I get a lot of. Reduces wrinkles, which I'm getting a few of. Enhances muscle recovery and peak performance. When I work out, I have that issue. Heals acne and other blemishes. Fades scars and stretch marks. Speeds wound healing. Reduces joint inflammation. And my favorite benefit of the Juve, increases testosterone production. So if you're interested in checking out some of those benefits for yourself, you can go over to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Here's the catch. If you use the code Luke at checkout, you will receive a special free gift. So go to juve.com forward slash Luke, use the code Luke and get hooked up with some Juve red light therapy. All right, you guys, I've got a favorite new product to let you know about. You know, I'm into the green juice by Organifi, right? Take that shit every day. Well, now I'm on to their red juice. That's right. It's a red juice powder packed with antioxidants and immune boosting herbs. It's got reishi, cordyceps, and 11 other superfoods. So the reason I like powders like this is because they're highly concentrated nutrition that's easy to get down the gullet. So you take a big scoop of this, you throw it in some almond milk or some spring water, whatever your your uh, drink of choice is, throw it in a blender really quick, or even just stir it up with a spoon. It actually dissolves really easy. It doesn't get all weird and chunky like some powders do. And then you've got the equivalent of basically eating a giant bowl of red fruit that day. But it, I don't know, it's just got a really good taste too. It tastes like, um, I don't know, it's sort of like strawberry juice or something like that. It's got a really like red fruity juice. So it's very different than the green powder that they make, which I also like. So check out the red juice by Organifi. You can find that at Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I. Organifi.com forward slash Luke. And the even better part is that you save 20% off if you use our show code. And that code is, drum roll please, Lifestylist. So go to Organifi.com forward slash Luke, use the code Lifestylist and save 20% off your order of the red juice or any other product that they make. 
Friends and neighbors, what's up? Luke Story here, bringing you another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Before I say anything, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. We had a great year in 2018, and 2019 is shaping up to be even better. The downloads are flying in. The show's all over the place. You guys are sharing it with everyone. I'm getting some insanely cool guests. Sometimes, I I mean, like I'm sitting here pinching myself. I just recorded a couple of days ago with Mastin Kip. That one will be coming out in a while. And it was just, it was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I got to say, these two, three-hour conversations of just, I don't know. It's just insane. I'm so grateful to be doing what I'm doing. And I just want to thank you. If this is the first time you're tuning in, uh, thank you so much for finding the show and welcome to the Lifestylist Podcast. It's a show all about improving your life mentally, spiritually, psychologically, physically, any possible way you can become a better, more fulfilled, happier person. I'm all about it. And uh, what we're talking about today is definitely no exception. But before we get into this episode with Kelly Roman, I want to plug next week's show, number 189, uh, because I just, I got to say, every time I do a show, I think, now this one's my favorite. And people always ask me, actually, um, Luke, what's, you know, what's your favorite guest or who have you learned the most from or whatever? And it's, it's oftentimes kind of the most recent one. And next week's show with Miles Neal, Buddha, Karma, and the Gradual Awakening was uh, honestly one of the most profound conversations in my entire life. And at 48 years old, uh, being on the path now for 22 years that I'm on, uh, trust me, I've had some pretty deep conversations and that one is amazing. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you get an automatic download of that show next week with Miles Neal, one of the most prominent uh, Buddhist teachers in the world, an amazing guy. All right. I also want to let you know that our guest, Kelly Roman uh, from Fisher Wallace, was kind enough to give us a little hookup on the device that we're going to be talking about. It's called a Circadia. And funnily enough, um, I'm running an Instagram live right now and they're watching me. Hey guys, they're watching me do the intro because that's how I keep myself entertained sometimes late at night when I'm doing these. But I actually have the Circadia on my head right now. What it is, is it's an electroconvulsive therapy, also known as ECT device. Kind of like what happened to Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, just much less voltage and it works. So first time I've ever tried this, but I'm wearing it right now. If you could only see me, guys, I look pretty sexy, I got to say. Uh, no, it's a strange looking thing that straps onto your head. It's uh, it's pretty out there, but it works. It's amazing. I use it every single day and it's super cool. So if you want to check it out, which I have a feeling you will by the end of this, you can go to circadia.info and enter the code Luke and save 50 bucks off this thing. It's normally $3.99. You're going to save 50 bucks. All right. So there you go. That's from our guest, Kelly, and your old pal, Luke. Circadia.info. That's circadia like circadian rhythm spelled with a C. All right. Upcoming events. I'm doing the High Love Experience. I did this at Rama in New York City a few months back. It was a huge hit. I turned it into a podcast or at least the lecture portion of it, which was released on Christmas Day, 2018. If you want to come experience this workshop live, you can join me February 23rd in Venice, California. If you want to get your ticket, which I recommend that you do, it's very easy. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash events. That's lukestory.com forward slash events. You come chill with me and I don't know, 50, 60 other Lifestylist podcast listeners. It is going to be super, super lit. In fact, I recommend that you wear fire retardant yoga clothes because it's going to be fire. All right. Our guest, Kelly Roman, is co-founder of Fisher Wallace Laboratories, a medical device company based in New York City that was the first to commercialize wearable brain stimulation. As I said, the one I'm wearing right now on my head. We'll see how this goes. If I get through the intro, then you know it works, all right? 
So here's what we talk about in this episode. How does the device help your body release dopamine, serotonin, and fall into a state of deep relaxation with no drugs required? The history of electroconvulsive therapy going back to the 70s when doctors started to explore it for depression in place of antidepressants. The fascinating results of Fisher-Wallace's bipolar study, which was conducted with both a placebo group and a crossover design. How I use the Circadia to enhance my meditation on a daily basis. The device's effect on your HRV scores or heart rate variability. And by the way, it's a very positive effect. What it takes to legally make a medical claim for a device or drug. What causes clinical insomnia and how we can all have a higher quality of sleep with and without medical intervention. Why improving someone's mood and sleep is hugely helpful for addicts trying to stay sober. The relationship between depression and your phone or social media use. And finally, other lifestyle practices that will help support your mood and quality of sleep. And again, if you want to check out the product that we're talking about in this particular show, I'm not trying to make this a commercial, but you're going to want one by the end of it probably if you suffer from these issues that I have in my life. So again, go to circadia.info, use the code Luke and save 50 bucks off this thing. It's pretty dope. And you can always find all the stuff that I talk about and share at lukestory.com forward slash store. But more than anything, I just think it's a really fascinating conversation with Kelly all about kind of the history of treatment of things like depression, anxiety, and insomnia and what causes them. It's a very informative uh, interview in that regard, whether or not you've even suffered from that stuff. He's a fascinating guy, very knowledgeable, and has a lot to say. So I'm really excited to bring you this episode with Mr. Kelly Roman. Kelly, it's great to meet you, dude. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. So here we are in New York City, man. Yeah, I was, I was actually really stoked to find out that you lived here when we talked about the prospect of doing an interview. And for some for some reason, I don't know why, I was surprised, I guess, because you work in sort of the health and biohacking technology space. And most of those people I don't find in New York City. So how'd you end up here and how long have you been here? Well, this is maybe the stress capital of the US. So it's a good place. It's a good place in, uh, to be if you're starting a healthcare company. Um and I was born here. Uh, my partner was born here. And, um, and you know, when we started out in uh, uh, 2008, 2009, um, really trying to uh, get, get the device out there, we, we turned to doctors and, and psychiatrists and other folks in New York. Um, and a lot of them had treatment-resistant patients and... Uh, you know, folks that were performing at a really high level. And obviously just, there's just a lot of, and I think as you look at the trends in the population, more and more people moving into cities, um, it becomes a bit of a laboratory uh, here. And, um, you know, everyone lives in a, or, you know, it's, it's tight space. There's a lot of uh, demands uh, economically on people here. Um you have you know both parents working, kids in school. They need to be picked up. There's just a lot, uh, a lot of uh, going on. So, I think it's actually a great place to be for what we do. Um, yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, like bring so. the fire extinguisher where the fire. <laughs> That's is, right. Basically, right. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's funny when I you know I guess when I when I meet people that live here in New York for some reason I'm I'm very interested in the why and I and I like it here. It's a great mm. city. I have fun when I get here. I get in the rhythm and I, yeah. I get with the flow. But. Man, it's it's a really intense place to be for extended periods of time. It is. You know? I mean, you got to find, I think, ways to to 
uh, find, you know, I mean, either you go to, you can go to Prospect Park, Central Park. It's pretty, pretty easy to get out of the city, you know, on, there's, there's pretty strong kind of rail transportation out of here. Uh, obviously you can drive out, but even if you don't have a car, which most people don't have a car here, you, you can get out and, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it, it's, it's tight, but I mean, there's a lot of options out. There's a lot of beaches around here. The water quality is improving. And I used to, before I got into this business, I was actually, uh, pretty, pretty deeply involved in, in Riverkeeper, which is a environmental, uh, law firm, uh, that works to clean up the rivers. And, and so, um, you know, I was seeing people fish and, and, uh, and people, uh, you know, high school kids kind of building boats. And, and so there's actually quite a bit in New York that's kind of unrecognized, I think, um, uh, for places to get away. Coney Island is great. I bring my four-year-old there. So um, there are places to, to unwind. Cool, um, man. Yep. So, so you used to work yeah. in social media marketing yeah, uh, I did things that like well. that. Yep. And what, what prompted the move into the health technology space? Uh, so my, you know, I, even though I worked in marketing, I worked for a, a VC backed software company. I also worked for Nielsen, Nielsen ratings. Uh, but my brother, uh, Chris Roman, um, uh, is now, uh, head of cell biology at downstate medical. And so he had a, a long PhD, a PhD track, uh, in, in, uh, biochemistry, uh, before he became a tenured professor. And so I would always talk science with him and, and, and chemistry. And even though it was something, not something that I focus on academically, I had a lot of comfort with, with reading his journal articles and, and, and things like that. So, uh, when I met my partner who had bought the patents to the device, uh, and wanted to start this business around this device, um, I had comfort level reading, the clinical trial work that had been done already. And uh, I felt comfortable talking to scientists because I had, you know, talked to my brother about that for, for a long time. So it felt kind of like a hobby that turned into a career. Um, and and we've performed a couple of studies since we took over the, the patents, one at Mount Sinai here in New York on bipolar depression. And we also did uh, Phoenix House opioid addiction studies those are in New York. on my list yeah. for sure. So, yeah, so we've, those, we've, we've those continued th- that. Yeah, those two things yeah. really piqued my interest. Yeah. I'm more of a researcher of biohacking health modalities and technologies based on hearing of secondhand anecdotal experiences of effectiveness and mm-hmm. efficacy. And then I like to see that there's some clinical trials. That gives me an extra boost of interest, although I don't totally depend on them. But sure, when they're sure. When they're profound and legitimate, it definitely leads me to, you know, really give something a shot and not just, you know, think it's a passing phase because I've seen so many trends kind of come and go in Mm -hmm. this space and the 22 years that I've been obsessed with it. Uh, So this particular um, uh, modality, which is called electroconvulsive therapy or ECT, uh, is very interesting to me. And I want to know... what that is in, in your description, and is it the exact same thing as neurostimulation? Can we just call those two things kind of sure. the same, or is there something that differentiates? Sure. Them? So, so uh, yeah, let me let me kind of just run through the different forms of neurostimulation. So, ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, is kind of uh, 
the highest output. That that's that's not what we do, but that's kind of a, a sister technology. So so ECT, it's it's very confusing because they're, there's they're very closely named. So ECT is something that you go into a hospital, you get put under anesthesia. Um, you know, everyone's kind of seen the movies where someone's biting down on a stick and they they give them. Uh, Electricity. It's not like that anymore. I see Jack Nicholson yeah. right now. Every, every, everyone sees Jack Nicholson. And that, frankly, was the biggest obstacle to our industry. But what happens now with ECT is you go, you get anesthesia, like you're going in for a surgical procedure. They give you electricity. You do have a convulsion, but you're under anesthesia, so you don't experience it. And But the, 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 the uh, neurological effects are there. And it has... Uh, they're still kind of figuring out the mechanism of action, but it, it essentially seems to... Um, uh, kind of rejigger your 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 uh, electrical system, and um, the the results in in reducing suicide are are actually very well documented. So ECT, uh, if you're in a suicidal state, if I had a uh, a relative that was in a suicidal state, I would recommend ECT. I mean, it's it has a great result on reversing that. Um, what we do, which is called training. Uh, transcranial alternating current stimulation, also called cranial electrotherapy, is uh, more of a daily dose of that. So ECTs, you get one huge dose. With what we have, we have a wearable that delivers a tiny dose, but over many, 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 many days. Um, and so we're, uh, it, we've, we've had studies that show we're increasing serotonin production, we're modulating the center brain activity, and we're in training alpha wave uh, brain state. So uh, we're actually uh, inciting a brain state uh, that you would get in a focused meditative state, which is emitting alpha waves. And so that's all been documented scientifically. There's another technology called TDCS, which is a, a direct current versus alternate current form of what we do. So to kind of Describe that comparison quickly. You, you, as you saw, there's two electrodes. Um, with alternating current, the polarity is shifting almost almost every uh, sixty milliseconds. In direct current, the polarity is um, fixed, so you have one anode, one cathode. Uh, so you have a negative and a positive that doesn't change in direct current, and that polarizes the brain tissue. It has some different effects on the brain. It doesn't entrain uh, brainwave states like alpha. But it has been shown to be effective in treating depression and some other, some other conditions. And then there's kind of another form that's that's uh, that's gotten a lot of traction called TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is not a wearable device. It's kind of in between a wearable and ECT, where you go into an office, a psychiatrist will bring kind of a high, uh, a, a powerful magnet over your head and incite an electrical field in your brain using the magnet in a very controlled setting with computers that are monitoring everything. And, you know, you can get kind of a 12-session package of TMS over, uh, you know, a few weeks. And that's now covered by Medicaid. Uh, that's um, wow. it's, it's a public company that makes that called Neuronetics. They went public actually a couple months ago. Uh, and so that's a big business that's you know, psychiatrist administrator, uh, administered, you go into a, a clinic or a hospital and get that. So we're, we're kind of on the wearable home use side of the business, whereas ECT is kind of like, you know, you get that if you're really in a serious state, suicidal state, you get the ECT. TMS is, uh, you know, major depressive disorder, um, 
you know, if you, if you, you know, if, if you need to have insurance cover it, that's kind of where insurance has adopted this technology. Now we just got Medicaid coverage in Maine. So insurance is beginning to cover what we do, but it's mostly not covered. So it's still out of pocket. Um, but it's fairly affordable, you know, so, um, we're, we're trying to build up that business. Uh, and so we kind of have these, these three different tiers and we're in that, that wearable home use tier. Oh, that's very useful information. Thanks for uh, contextualizing it that way. That makes perfect sense. So in, in doing a little bit of research on the history of this type of therapy, I'm seeing it go back into the seventies where doctors started using these technologies as an alternative to, um, antidepressants. And things like that. So bring me back a little bit in time as this as this technology started to emerge, and right. you know how it's been adopted, and I'm I'm sure met with some resistance along sure. the way as well. Oh sure. So uh, it was actually Russian engineers and scientists were the first to kind of really. Um, it was Russian collusion. <laughs> There's a lot of Russian collusion in that in that area. It's one of their outside of vodka, perhaps their greatest export. Right. Was, well, you was, know, uh, you know, it's, it was very interesting. Actually, uh, all jokes aside, is that yeah. you know, as I said, having been obsessed with this these types of uh, innovative technologies for a long time, most of the really uh, big breakthroughs with the health devices and stuff seem to come from Russia, Germany, and Japan. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, like the Rife machines and all this kind of stuff. Well, incredible electrical um, engineers coming out of Is that of what it is? Um, and, you know, uh, and there's a, you know, after World War II, there there was kind of a migration of, of electrical engineers out of Germany, um, as you can imagine, and... and uh, and out of Japan, and um, and and so, but their their cultures were just um, you know delivered some of the great electrical engineering minds. So you know, and I think from a from if you look at the wars, you know, thank God the, the U.S. Uh, was able to uh, advance its technology as fast as it did. It was very close. I mean, right. you know, there was right. there that was an engineering war, World War Two, oh, uh, and it was very, very close. Um, so I'm, I'm glad the outcome was what it was. But uh, so, so anyway, yeah, the great engineering culture there. Um, so that technology kind of came over to the U.S. in the '60s, and then uh, and so these devices were used, cruder forms of it, but still pretty sophisticated. Uh, and and in the in this in 1976 is when the FDA actually started formalizing regulation of medical devices. And because these things were already on the market, they grandfathered these devices into regulation. Um, And so they were already being used to treat depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Uh, And so they were grandfathered in. Um, obviously since then, the, uh, the, the way that we conduct clinical trials has advanced quite a bit. And so there's been more and more sophisticated studies done on this, but it still bore, bore out what, what the, the early data showed, which is that this stuff is effective and it, and it doesn't cause serious side effects. So, so yes, uh, you know, I would say there's a long history to it. Uh, the, the research has improved, um, the technology has gotten more refined, uh, and I think what kind of prevented this this technology from really taking off was that in the '80s you had the, the beginnings of the blockbuster antidepressant medications. So you had Prozac. It was followed by a whole string of of blockbuster antidepressant drugs, and the same on the anxiety side, uh, obviously with Ambien and some other drugs. So, 
you had just an overwhelming marketing message over television and the sales forces that were, uh, uh, you know, marketing these, these, these drugs to, to, to physicians. And so you ha- be- between those two endeavors, you had patients who were constantly seeing drug advertising and television and doctors that were pretty much being, you know, co-opted, whether for good or bad, by by drug sales reps and so it just was this it created a a medical culture of kind of you know drug first and 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 there's some there's some validity to that i mean i think the the you know the cl- the whole clinical trial concept in terms of you know controls and specific endpoints has a lot of value the problem is is that in reality most patients don't aren't just dealing with one endpoint uh, most patients don't just have a major depressive disorder symptom. They can have a whole host of other symptoms. They can have uh, anxiety and sleep issues. Uh, they can have substance abuse issues. Um, they they can have a whole host of other problems, whether it's with diet. Uh, and and so I think there's a whole constellation of issues that you're dealing with with in in in, in reality. Whereas a clinical trial just looks at a little slice of that. So that's the weakness of trials, but obviously the, the the upside is that they're very rigorous in terms of when you're looking at a specific outcome, how do you get as clean data as possible and and compare that to a placebo effect? So so the drug companies, you know, came in, they had a product that was shown to be better than placebo, and, and antidepressants are better than placebo. They're just not that much better. Um, that's so scary, man. They're a little better. <laughs> yeah. And so if you have a placebo oh, effect of 33% shit. and you have a effectiveness of a drug of 40%, well, then you have a 7% you know, spread on that. Right. right. Uh, and so what we, what we uh, have tried to do since, you know, lucky for us, when we came into the market around, uh, we bought the chip, bought the patents around 2006. We finally started marketing in 2009. Most of those drugs are out of patent. And so you, around 2009, you kind of stopped seeing depression ads. You saw ads for everything else, oh, cholesterol, heart right. medication, but you didn't see depression ads on television because they're just you didn't have the economics to support that after they went out of patent. And so we went into a market that was kind of devoid of in-patent drugs almost. There's a, tiny, a couple of them that are still around that were recently patented. All the big ones are gone in terms of their patents. And also by that point, you had patients and doctors who had prescribed, who had either taken these drugs or prescribed them for 20 years who were like, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of effectiveness there, but boy, there's a lot of side effects. Right. And so the patients were looking for things other than drugs. And the doctors were like, you know, from a liability perspective, I'm not that crazy about prescribing a drug that may cause suicidal litigation or cause incredible weight gain or, you know, have other side effects. Um especially when uh, the effectiveness may only be 38, 40% uh, chance, but you know, you, you have that whole side effect burden. And so, and then on top of that, we also came into the market right when wearables started to be adopted. So Fitbit was founded in 2006, you know, around 2009, people kind of getting used to wearing things on their wrist. Uh, you know, obviously today, not only are patients looking up their health on WebMD and, and so forth, but they're, it, you know, a lot will will use a, a a fitness band or Apple Watch. People are going out and getting their their genes tested, whether to see what their heritage are or to see you know if they're uh, what their what their chances are for certain hereditary diseases. So the consumer is a lot more sophisticated. They're, they're tapping into more technology, 
And so our device looks less like kind of some archaic, uh, you know, shock therapy and more like, okay, this is a wearable, just happens to be stimulation on the brain, but it's just another device that I'm using that has clinical research behind it uh, to help me out, almost no side effects. So I think that that whole confluence of, of things has helped us to to grow a modest business at this yeah, point. That, yeah, that's interesting yeah. how yeah. Uh, history has, or, uh, has timing has sort of colluded, <laughs> collusion, there's that word again. Um, <laughs> It, yeah. It's interesting looking at the timeline going yeah. going you yeah. know from the seventies into the eighties then and the rise of big pharma yep. and the medication and then the patents kind of fading out and yep. you guys being like hey wearables just arrived it's it's yeah. an interesting yes. Uh, yes interesting timeline there and for for those listening of course this is not going to be meaningful at all but I would just like to remind listeners of the show that ninety nine point nine percent of the time you can actually watch these interviews on my YouTube channel. Uh, just search Luke's story and you'll find them there because sometimes there are interesting things to see other than just our mugs. And we have <laughs> the Fisher Wallace stimulator here in my hotel room in New York City because I don't go anywhere without this thing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to kiss the ass of, of a guest, but honestly, like I freaking use this thing religiously twice a day. And you can see how dirty my little headband is. God, we'll send you some more headbands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, actually, I actually have. It. So for those of you listening. And you can use any headband, by the way. You, you can, you oh, can go right. as fashion forward it. as you want. I didn't think about that. I could get a full on like a, a robe, you know, a robe size totally. 80s uh, terry cloth headband. Totally. But for those of you listening, just imagine. So I've got, you know, a little Velcro strap that's about an inch wide. And, and for those of you watching on YouTube, of course, this would go on my head like that. Uh, I, I have my headphones on, so you can't really tell. But just imagine the headphones or the uh, the head um, strap is on, and then these little sponge electrodes go on your temples like so, mm-hmm. and you wet them, and then you turn on the device, and there's a dial which is able to control the the uh, intensity of the signal, which starts out very subtle, mm-hmm. and you know it can it's definitely noticeable. But mm-hmm. I find it quite pleasant even now at the highest setting. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I'm always on the highest setting because I'm Most extra. Most people do that. Yeah, yeah, I do that. But I wear it, it at level four. You do, yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's very. It is very convenient, and um, and you know, it's like I guess why one of the reasons I want to interview is I'm like, how the hell does this thing do what it does? Which is amazing, um, and I just love turning people on to weird stuff like this because. I used to be on medication, man. When I was, you know, in my late twenties, I was in I a was really. Too. I was. Too. Oh, you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was I've, in a really I've bad. Taken Lexapro, Wellbutrin. Um, you know, the the thing with serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors (SSRIs) is is that you know eighty percent of serotonin is actually created in your gastro tract, um, and so when you're taking these drugs, yes, they can. They're they're designed to kind of inhibit the absorption of serotonin certain receptors in your brain, but they can also mess with your gastro tract. Um, uh, and and again, that's that's not kind of in a clinical trial. They're not really. It's not a clinical trial isn't set up to study your gastro tract. It's set up to study the, the depression effect. And so, clinical trials can miss a lot of things that are happening in the rest of your body. Um, and that's why even if something's approved for something and it can be effective for that, it takes usually some time for patients to, to use something. Um, you know, our device has been, we were approved, this device was approved or cleared by FDA. And there's, there's a difference between drugs and devices. Devices are typically cleared and they can go through an approval process, which is, you know, different than a drug, which there is no clearance. You have to go through an approval um, with with devices, this was cleared in 1990. 
So these devices have now been used for 28 years. I wish I would have known, dude. So, um, it's, just, it's just hard to believe, right? Ah. But it's also nice to have a track record. It's like, look, right. if these things did bad things that we weren't looking for in a study, it would have been teased out over the last 28 years. I mean, we have 40,000 sure. patients. We have a couple of competitors. Um, so we have enough active patients. I mean, 40,000 patients. Your average clinical trial for a drug is around 1,000 to 3,000 patients. Um, which is large, and you know it costs about ten thousand dollars a patient to, to to run a clinical trial. Wow! So you're looking at a hundred million dollars. You're you know um, wow. So you know for for a Damn. big for a big study, right, um, right. you know at least ten million for 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 a small one. Um, and so we have forty thousand patients now using this device. We've done smaller scale studies between twenty patients and four hundred patients with, with this device. That's, That's just so it's. <laughs> It like pisses me off that I find things so much later. You know, in 1990, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was I had real problems. Me too. Me too. With addiction, depression, yeah. anxiety. Uh, yeah. Then when I was uh, must have been 27 or so, yeah. I was really having a hard time yeah. living in this body in the world, and yeah. so I uh, went to see a, a shrink, and they put me on something called Effexor. Sure. And. Yeah. Uh, and man, that stuff really devastated me for a while. It was all side effects, made me really nuts. It's just, I, from what I understood, it was supposed to have the op. And I'm not, you know, saying, no, if you're on effects or don't take it, listen, I don't care what people do. They just don't hurt other people and I'm happy. But I was on this effects or stuff, man, and I was insane. It acted in my brain like, um, like crystal meth. It made me so obsessive, so compulsive. And I'm already that way just naturally. So it amplified that. Maybe I was less depressed and less suicidal, but I would just, I we should drive around these alleys in LA and like look for furniture to refinish. And I would find some old beat up dresser and I would take it home and just tweak out like a meth head and refinishing it and doing this faux finishing. I mean, creative kind of fun yeah, work. Sure, I mean, sure, I wasn't sure. hurting anyone. Sure. I wasn't robbing little old sure. ladies to get a fixer. Sure. Uh, but I was not happy and I was just a basket case. So it's like a time in my life. I'm like, oh, gross. I just have this sticky, nasty feeling from being on meds. And if if there had been a podcast like mine around that said, hey, that's cool, but there are actually alternatives that are less invasive and less prone to side effects, I would have been so freaking stoked. So... Well, let me, let me if if I may, sure, I, yeah. I use that because a lot of people probably are not aware of this. So, a, a lot of very uh, successful people like yourself uh, are, and I'm not saying that you are bipolar, but a lot of successful people are are bipolar, uh, and they they get a lot done during the the mania phase of bipolar. And if you're bipolar, uh, if you're bipolar two, that means that you have mostly depression symptoms and some mania. If you're bipolar one. You have mostly mania and some depression, but mostly it's mania. Um, which so bipolar one on its face sounds not as bad. You're not as depressed as much. However, uh, in bipolar one, when you have a lot of uh, mania, you, that can be actually more risky to patients because they tend to take a lot more uh, risky behaviors. Whether that's driving fast, drinking, sexual, it, it it's when you're in that mania stage, kind of your your filter on risk can go out the window. Um, and there's there's six million patients that they estimate that are kind of in that uh, that, that in the United States that are that are that are bipolar. The problem with SSRIs is that they tend to amplify the mania. So, oh, so your standard antidepressant. It still only has a kind of slightly better than placebo 
effectiveness, but it can trigger much more, it can amplify the, the mania part of bipolar. And the problem with bipolar is most, most uh, psychiatrists and, 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 and general practitioners either don't diagnose that the patient's bipolar, they, they don't know the patient's bipolar. Uh, you know, most antidepressants are prescribed by GPs, not psychiatrists. So basically, it's a patient coming in to, to their primary doctor and saying, I'm feeling depressed. And they're like, here's a prescription for something. They don't diagnose the wow. bipolar. I think I think when I interviewed Kelly Brogan, she was talking she about that. She probably did. She, and I found that yeah. to be a terrifying fact. <laughs> like, well, it is. And it is. And this is part of our pitch to be transparent yeah. to doctors yeah. is like, once you, uh, the, you know, it's going to take a bigger study than what we we do have data. It's going to take a more definitive study, and we're we're working on funding that now, where mainstream medicine will say, okay, you have a drug level study. Again, very very expensive, but that's enough for me where I can just start prescribing this. But in terms of what's best for patient and what's best for doctor liability, this doesn't cause me any. So the the study that we did. In at, at Mount Sinai, published in 2015 in a major journal, was with bipolar two patients. So those are the folks that have depression more often in, in a bit in, in mania less. But the SSRI effects in terms of amplifying mania occurs with both bipolar one and bipolar two. This had no effect on mania. Right? A, B, it had no significant side effects. There were a couple of people who had a headache, um, but this is such a safer treatment for bipolar patients than, a, than, a, than an SSRI for treating depression. But most doctors are still going to feel more comfortable with the SSRI because they've been trained that way in medical school. They've been, they're meeting with the reps. You almost can't blame a lot of them. This is what they've been taught. This is some of the younger doctors. I think now, you know, people who are out of medical school, out of the residence, at residencies, they're, we're talking about people who are just coming into their full practice. They're in their 30s. Are are more comfortable with this kind of technology. They've they've been educated on it a bit more, um, but in healthcare, it's not just like oh, I have a great product. Here's some marketing. I mean, you're talking about medical school training. You're talking about Salesforce. You're talking about massive clinical data to to kind of compete with what drugs have at at, at that kind of a economy of scale. It's very tough. Um, thankfully, Maine Medicaid has said, you know, your your the work you did with with opioid patients in your Phoenix House study. It's not airtight. You didn't have a placebo group. So we have, we had, we saw active treatment and we saw people who didn't have your device, but we didn't see people who were using a device that was actually shammed out, which means it looked like it was working, but it wasn't actually working. That's kind of the gold standard. You want a placebo device. Our Mount Sinai study on bipolar did have a placebo device. And what was interesting about that is that the, 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 the patients who were on the placebo device had a placebo effect. In the first week, they all said they felt better. And then second week, they went back to baseline. And then we did what's called a crossover design in, in clinical trials, which is you take the placebo group, and then at the end of that phase, you give them an active device. And those people had a durable decrease in symptoms, and as did the active group to begin with. So the crossover design is a very powerful part of a clinical trial. We did that with, with this for bipolar um, so if there's any patient, you know, any people out here listening to the podcast, either who've been diagnosed with bipolar or, or who may have a sense of their own behavior patterns that, you know, I'm pretty manic a lot of the time. I may, you know, I may be a CEO of some company and I can get a lot done when I'm manic, 
but there are also times where I'm, I can be like, I can't get out of bed for a weekend kind of thing. Um, I would say, go meet a doctor, go your psychiatrist, talk about bipolar, do research. But this is a great treatment for that because it's not going to, it's not going to trigger or amplify the, the mania. That's very so. interesting because uh, I, I mean, I never knew how to phrase what I used to experience when I was on this effects or stuff. Uh, but I would say it amplified my mania. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. well, know. It struck I, me when you said that. Yeah, that's why I, I went into that story. But yeah, yeah. I didn't know yeah. until this moment that I had mania. So that's news to me. But I was freaking nuts. And, and at that time, I had just uh, very recently gotten sober. So I, I was increasingly becoming more sane. But still, had, I was just so depressed. I mean, I just days like like you said, I couldn't get out of bed. <laughs> well, alcohol and, for for mania it, oh, it, it, is is for many patients a way to kind of try and just wind down. It's like you're in sixth gear when you're in mania, and it's like, what can I like? Going for a run, this won't necessarily do it. It can help, but like people want a way to wind down, and 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 going into the alpha state, the alpha brainwave state is that meditative focus state. So you know, again, I don't want to this is not a, a panacea, but for a lot of bipolar patients, this will actually help them relax a bit during the mania phase. So, That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I want to go into the neurotransmitters and, and sure. sleep and all kinds of stuff. I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot of ground to cover here because I'm so fascinated by these technologies. But uh, one thing I did not know until you just mentioned it was the uh, brainwaves. Mm-hmm. And the alpha waves mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, I say a couple, God, it's a few years ago now, I did something called uh, 40 Years of Zen, which was um, a, a partnership, which has been kind of co-opted by Dave Asprey from Bulletproof. So I went to Sedona and I did neurofeedback training, like hours and hours and hours of it per day. And this particular um, style of neurofeedback was to increase alpha. And that had a profound impact on my life in so many ways, which were immediately evident um, to the point where I've continued to do neurofeedback training, not necessarily to increase alpha, but I didn't really know of anything else that could actually increase one brainwave or another other than a couple of random PMF devices and things mm-hmm. like that. I use something mm-hmm. called an amp coil, which I travel with everywhere. Um, and mm-hmm. you, can, you can use that for that. But I didn't know that's what I was doing with this because mm-hmm. it's interesting I use my um, my Fisher Wallace device when I meditate mm-hmm. because it's a twenty minute treatment, is it not? It is. Yeah, it the is. timer's yep. on twenty minutes, so I meditate typically twenty minutes twice a day. And and I never emailed you guys or asked anyone. I just thought I don't know. I actually feel really good and chill. It doesn't seem to interfere with my meditation. If anything, it enhances it. It definitely doesn't mm-hmm. take me out of it. And I think that's the missing link right there yep. is the is the alpha state, which yep. is the inherent state to the style of meditation that I do. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, absolutely. No, that, and, and any, any patients, you know, if they're telling us over chat or email, you know, I do meditation, can I use it that right? That is the best outcome use case. And we should probably promote that more on the site. I think you know the, the the reason why we don't is because we are although i i i've you know i i have spent many weekends at the ashram ananda ashram here which is an hour and a half out of the city uh i i love yoga meditation but you know you know in in mainstream medicine unfortunately the, the moment you say meditation people think it's kind of out of the scientific realm well, it's not this is actually the oldest science right um and so we don't kind of promote that heavily on our site, but people who do meditate, we got a lot of people who who give us the feedback of what you just said. Oh, and, cool. uh, uh, you know, transcendental meditation as well, like uh, uh, Dr. Richard Brown at Columbia, 
um, has worked a lot with uh, Ray Dalio's um, uh, organization that's mm-hmm. that's doing transcendental meditation with uh, uh, PTSD patients, uh, firemen, uh, folks from 9-11. Um, and, and Brown is one of the biggest prescribers of our device and has kind of turned a lot of of, uh, of uh, transcendental meditation folks on to, to combining it. No, but the alpha. So this device delivers uh, fifteen hertz, five hundred and fifteen thousand, and the alpha wave brain state is around fourteen ish hertz. Um, and the researchers, there were two engineers, electrical engineers, uh, who who built this. Uh, in the studies they did, found that that this was that this frequency package was the best thing to kind of deliver that that um, uh, entrainment of alpha waves. And so, uh, and there's been more and more kind of better, high quality academic research on transcranial alternating current simulation, TACS, that has proven out that it really does uh, not just get your brain into that alpha state, but after you turn the device off, it keeps it in that state. So it's it's, about, it's called entrainment. It's not just about having your brain in that state for those 20 minutes. It's about how many hours afterwards does it stay in there. Um, we, and it, it the research shows that this can be several hours after that. And we, what we recommend is, is six hours. If you're going to use the device twice a day, you know, have a six hours in between. Uh, and so, you know, we, we usually recommend the patients morning and evening, you know, so when you wake up and, you know, a couple hours before you go to bed, um, cause patients will ask us, should I just wear this all day long, all the time, never turn it off. <laughs> and we're like, you know, you're not really, there, there's diminishing returns. So use it right. twice a day. You're fine. Right. Um, so, we have more research to do. I mean, it, it, it's, it, we want, you know, as, I mean, the thing is with drugs, with, with, with uh, antidepressants, and there's actually not that great data on mechanism of action. I mean, um, they can show increases in serotonin, but they don't really know all the other things that are happening in the brain at the same time. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I am super stoked to have finally settled on one and one final CBD company. Now, there's so many different products out there uh, in the CBD market. It's getting crazy saturated. It's really hard to find out who's doing it right. Uh, There's a lot of funny business going on in terms of labeling, in terms of pesticides, what's really organic, what's not. Even the term organic now is um, pretty loosely used within the supplement industry. So I'm super stoked to bring you Cured Nutrition. These guys make super legit CBD products out of Colorado-grown organic hemp. Now, keep in mind, this is a CBD product, not a THC product. So you don't have to worry about, you know, um, crashing your car because you're so faded or whatever really stoned people do. It's not psychoactive. You're good. You can use this before you go to the gym, after you go to the gym, um, on your way to take a test at school whenever it's not going to have a negative effect on your cognition. However, it will relax the hell out of you. It will help you sleep. It will take away inflammation in your body and do a number of things that CBD products are scientifically proven to do. There's a lot of research on this particular plant and I'm very happy to have found Cured Nutrition because they're doing it right. I'm also just happy to support this plant. I really believe in hemp and cannabis. I think it's something that should not be demonized, but something that we should continue to study and use. So I use their products like their little snacks, the um, the cookie dough they make is delicious. And then of course I just take their oils and their gel caps. I also love all their different spices. Some of them are sweet, some of them are savory. It's a really easy way to get CBD into your diet. 
if you get some Cured Nutrition goodies. So here's the site I want you to go to. Go to curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. Again, that is curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. And of course, I've got you hooked up for 10% off if you use the code lifestylist at checkout. curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. And now back to the interview. With the serotonin, yeah. So I under I understand how the alpha wave yeah. works. I mean, there's different hertz that your brain produces. There's an energetic signal that's right. produced by your brain, and that's in neurofeedback. And yep. if you do you do a QEEG, and they hook your brain up to electrodes, and a computer tells you the waves of energy that are coming out of your brain, essentially, and then you can entrain those. So yep. Yep. if we're at 14 hertz approximately for alpha, and this is delivering something within that range, then that would be the logical yep. indicator that you're encouraging the brain to do more of that and then in training it so that later on as you go live your life and hop on the subway and do whatever you're doing, that your brain is still actively producing right. that, which right. alpha, by the way, those listening, is a really good feeling. <laughs> when you're in an alpha state, it's it's quite nice. Yeah. Uh, alert but relaxed, which is yeah. the thing I'm always trying to fine tune. Uh, in terms of the serotonin then, when we get into the... Is a neurotransmitter, yep. right? Okay. When we get into the neurotransmitters like serotonin, uh, what? why does electricity tell your brain, hey, make some of these feel-good juices that we call serotonin? So the, the, the real answer is we don't know why, but I would say that uh, the serotonin, from what I understand, is most... We know that it increases from using our device. I would not say that that is the the primary kind of trigger for all the other effects. I think it's probably more of a signal that we're, uh, we're modulating the default mode network, which is that center brain region, which, which uh, can fluctuate in activity depending on if you're fight or flee. And there is published data, I'll say not with our device, but with our competitor, which is similar, um, where they showed that it successfully will modulate the default mode network to reduce that fight or flee signal, and that we know with 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 this with with transcranial alternating current that has that entrainment of alpha wave, and so the serotonin may be a result of that as opposed to what's causing all of that to happen. Oh, right. um, so I I think we're we're still in terms of you know we deliver electricity and then what's the cascading effect and what are all the things that are triggered. We don't have enough data uh, to 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 paint that clear picture, and neither do the drug companies with their SSRIs, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just not that clear a picture, right? Right. Um, what we do know is the you know a skeptic will say, does this even have a physiological effect? Meaning, if you put this on, how do you know it does anything? Well, we do have data that shows it increased serotonin, modulates default network, and it entrains brain waves. We have data on that. So there's a physiological effect. How that all is 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 occurring because of the stimulation, we're not that sure. But we do know there's a physiological effect. And then in clinical trials, like the one we did at Mount Sinai and bipolar, you give a patient, you know, the Beck depression index, or the the doctor fills out a Hamilton index on depression, it's a questionnaire, which ranks all of the different feelings, you know, hopelessness, uh, you know, sleep quality, all those things. So you can measure decreases in depression. And so we know it does that. So we know there's a physiological effect. We know that depression uh, and sleep increase, meaning sleep onset, how you can measure with EEG 
how fast does someone get to sleep or you know how many how many minutes does it take for someone to get to sleep before and after using your device you can measure that you can measure how long they stay asleep and you can do that precisely with EEG without EEG, without EEG it's harder but with EEG you can measure the brain waves you can see when someone's asleep when they're not asleep and so we have physiological effect we have symptom reduction data um, on the how that all works not as not as clear right i mean and, a, a lot of things that are effective uh, both scientifically and more in the metaphysical realm are sort of um, innocuous and we don't, we don't really know. It's like, I know meditation makes me super happy. I, why can you prove it? I don't know. When well, I, you, know you can't drill a hole in your head <laughs> right, right, right. during a study. So you're looking at what, what are the limits of brain imagery? And that's actually a field that I'm extremely excited about. I, I don't want to go too tangential, but I can tell you that in 10 years, you won't just be using this device by itself. You will have sensors that will be measuring how your brain is reacting in real time to the stimulation and then customizing the stimulation to your brain so that it's it's delivering an effect that is measurable in real time. Uh, that's, so that's already being studied now. The biofeedback version kind of, of, of this yeah, kind of... Yeah. Yeah. It's a called closed-loop neurostimulation right. where you're using real-time brain imagery to inform what the stimulation is. Now, the limits to that are the cost and the fidelity of the sensors. Um, you know, you can't have a $10,000 unit or $50,000 unit, um, which is kind of what it costs now. Uh, you need a, you know, a $500 sensor headset that has incredibly high fidelity and not only high fidelity to see what's going on in the brain, but, you know, what parts of the brain actually need to be turned on and off to to reduce depression? You kind of have to know that as well. We don't really know that yet. We know that people who have depression who tend to be um, uh, good patients for stimulation tend to have a lower dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex activity. So the the, the center of the part of the brain beneath your beneath your forehead uh, tends to be underactive in patients that are receptive to brain stimulation. That's also been shown. But so, so what do, what do some, some TMS companies are trying to just stimulate dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex? They're, not, they're getting okay results, so that we, it, but not great. So it's not just the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. There's going to be center brain. There's going to be other regions that are involved. So that science has to catch up along with the science that's fidelity and customizing the stimulation. So I think for probably 10 years, a fixed output device is going to be what people are going to use. But eventually it will get to, everyone's going to have a different customized uh, neurostimulation. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah, there's 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 something sort of along the lines of that called the Muse headband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and they sent me one of these. And- EG. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's it's interesting because it's, I mean, I, I don't use it all the time because I... I feel like I'm, uh, for lack of a better term, pretty good at meditating. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, sure. Been doing it for a long, yeah, long time. Sounds so like I, it. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't get the sense that I'm, you know, not getting all the benefits or falling out of it. Right. I don't find it difficult. It's just automatic. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's a really interesting device, the Muse, which I, I think I have on my story, lukestory.com forward slash store. It's like a biofeedback, cheap, yeah, a cheap it, commercial. It's cool. Your phone device. tells you like how you're doing right. in your meditation, right. at what points you came out of those deeper states of consciousness and all that. Yeah. It's a it's a really amazing uh, tool, I think, especially for people that are newer in meditation or 
yep. that even lack the discipline because it's not gamified. There's no like, ah, there's no reward. Like, I don't know. Was I meditating? I'm not really sure. Right. Right. You, you don't really know, uh, in a sense, um, especially when you're when you're newer at it, or you're just that type A person that just can't stand meditating, but know you should. So I think the muse is is cool in that sense because you can kind of peek at your brain. You know, your brain's getting that feedback, and you're yep. knowing what worked and what doesn't, or if you had caffeine, or you ate, or your kids running around, or the dog jumped in your lap, or whatever happened. You can see, oh, at that point. I jumped out of it and uh, I, I love the idea of uh, just biofeedback in general of, you know, getting that data back in that closed loop kind of thing. Yeah, and that's a cheap sensor and, and fairly. And I think the, the sensors that are showing even more promise than EEG are the, the near-infrared sensors. Uh, so um, uh, the, the infrared sensors kind of track blood flow, which is correlated to neuronal activity. And and it and that's where there seems to be a lot of progress in in sensors, and it'll probably be a combination of the EEG sensors that Muse is is, is using, plus these um uh uh th- these infrared sensors. Oh, dude, like know. the Aura Ring, Aura Ring, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think they have the infrared. Sensor. I have a tan line yes. where mine usually sits. I think it's on the yes, charger yeah, right yeah, now. It's, yeah, no, it's like a chunky black thing. Yeah. I, I I haven't used it, but yeah. I've seen that. Well, and, there's yeah. you know they made one yeah. now. Uh, I'll show you when we're when we're done. It's more narrow. I mean, it's okay. some, it's not much bigger than that. It actually looks like kind of a normal ring versus the big sort of you know Star Trek one that they had. But um, what's interesting is it can monitor heart rate a little bit more accurately. Yeah, with the, yeah, with the, yeah, and HRV and yeah. and REM right. sleep and deep right. sleep. So I've been playing around with the with your device combined with that to see. To get the, some data. Yeah, to yeah. get some data and see. And, uh, you know, it's it's tough. I mean, I always have to be transparent and honest before I get too excited about something. I do so many things <laughs> to improve my life on every level that it's difficult it's for me. to pinpoint one it thing. It is. Yeah, it's yeah, to, yeah. You know, so maybe I started right. taking a different kind of GABA at night. <laughs> right. And that, you know, it's like... I, <laughs> If I really right. wanted to be the the proper guinea pig that I that I like to be uh, for my, the benefit of myself and to be able to report my findings to whoever's listening to me, you know, I really would need to do isolated tests where I stop yep. every intervention yep. I'm doing and I just use the Fisher Wallace stimulator and I track my sleep with the O ring and I see before and after with without etc. Unfortunately, I don't have the discipline to do that because I'm just full on and I do everything all the time. That said, I, I have to say that um, there's a, a, a marked correlation between the arrival of the device in front of us, which was maybe, I want to say six months ago, five months ago, something like that, and tracking my sleep on the Aura Ring. My sleep is pretty freaking good. And the real test of it is when I travel. When I travel, my sleep gets smoked, especially when I come to New York City because of the you know the circadian disruption sure. of changing sure. time zones, the EMFs here in the city, the noise, the just not being in an environment that is controlled like my environment, obviously in my own bedroom. Uh, but I brought this, you know, obviously it's sitting in front of us. I brought it with me and that is not a mirage. And uh, my bed's right across from our interview here, funnily enough. But um, <laughs> I'm looking at my sleep app and I'm like, damn, first night in New York City, I'm getting a 93% you know, percent sleep. I'm like, what? Usually I sleep like crap for the first two or three nights and then I kind of settle in. And it's it's I'm very ineffective when I travel typically because my sleep suffers so much. I have to kind of book in extra days to recover from flying and then recover from the interruption in my sleep. Um, this trip here, I landed on Tuesday night. The next day, banged out two recordings and was just like actually pretty on point. 
And I that's think that's great to hear. Yeah, it's because I was able to um, really optimize my sleep and, you know, kind of force myself into another time zone. So, see, it's like when I was well, using... Well, insomnia is one of our FDA indications. And I, I, yeah, I tend to and, focus too much on the depression. Well, but, I want to get into But both. insomnia is very, is, it's, it's, it's very effective for that. And we have gotten... Uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but we we were approached by a Navy SEAL on SEAL Team Six, and and most uh, uh, Navy SEALs, uh, you know, in the last 20 years, they use a lot of Ambien. And why? Because they're they're uh, they're operating at night and they're sleeping during the day. Uh, and Ambien so when is you, so nasty. Well, if you come out of that career and you've been taking Ambien for 15 years. Uh, and you don't want to take it anymore. Um, and we were able to get him off Ambien. Um, we've done that with a lot of other patients. We have a retired general on our board, uh, Steve Zanakis. He works with a lot of PTSD patients, um, special operators. And this, and sleep is the, is the biggest thing that he sees uh, it helping those particular patients with. Well, that was yeah. my original interest in it. Uh, I forget where I even first heard about it. It might have been Ben Greenfield or, or one of my fellow podcasters. And... Um, I'm always just looking. I've, I wouldn't say I have you know clinical insomnia by any stretch. I, my sleep is pretty good. Well, most even of just the jet lag. I mean, just, just yeah, having, and, and yeah. But I, I I kind of diverted to that particular yeah. benefit and part of the conversation just because of the aura ring and having the ability to track that. Now I don't have the ability to track my level of anxiety or depression right, per right, se, right. other than just subjectively going like. God, I feel pretty good. But but again, <laughs> right, right, I, I do right, right. so many life improvements that I, you know, I think I'm happier than I've ever been in my yeah, life, but that's yeah. due to a number of factors. Yep. I mean, you know, yep. healing some past relationships that were weighing on my subconscious and things that are totally unphysical on one level. So it's um yep. it's difficult to say, but uh I would actually before we get into the sleep, I just have a question here on my yeah, notes sure. that I, I don't want to pass up. Uh does this affect one's HRV? scores at all it does yeah yeah we've done so we've, we've done it we have an un, we have unpublished data with menopausal women that showed uh re- reductions in, in in heart rate variability um during the treatment session and it was akin to what the the physician said is like akin to what we would see with like deep breathing exercises and so i you know uh, but the, all the women in your 10 subjects were um i'd be happy to share the data it's just not published yeah. um it was was you saw that the, the women had 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 reductions heart available heart availability that would similar to deep breathing, um, and and so you know that is something that you know I was going to actually bring up as well as the EG is that even uh you know you uh if you're if you're a consumer but you're comfortable with using kind of you know strapping on the, a a real kind of clinical grade on your on your chest the ring will do that. But the real, if you want, the, the best data I think is when you is is when you put it right on your chest. It's a little bit more inconvenient, but um, but that's you know I have I I got a uh, I got one of those from um, a company we work with that actually helps doctors track patient progress over time. Um, and uh, but I I think the the case that you're bringing up and I, I think it's important. I I and I think you and, and Ben Greenfield are really the pioneers with us to bring this to the market. Is that we've taken this technology, Fisher Wallace Simulator, and put it in a in a consumer OTC uh, product, and and I, I want to kind of explain how that works from a regulatory I just perspective. Remember, I just so, remembered how I found out about it. It was from Rick Rubin. 
Yeah, because I took a bunch of biohacking stuff over to his house, and his wife was really into it. I heard that he had a device. Yeah, he does, yeah. Yeah. And uh, his wife was like super curious about all my crazy devices, and he was like, (laughs) I'm not really into that stuff. I just keep it simple. And then he's like, but here's the one thing. And I took a picture of it. And then later I was scrolling through my photos like, oh, damn, I wanted to Google that thing and look yeah. it up. And then that's how I found it. So there you go. Well, that's awesome. That that yeah. was, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, my introduction to Rick Rubin was 99 Problems, but, you know, that's just... <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I was very happy to hear that. But, um, that's cool. So, so I think, you know, we, we've, we've basically, in, in, the, in the medical device world, if you're going to make a medical claim to treat something treat something specific like depression, anxiety, insomnia, you have to, you have to get, uh, you know, clearance from the FDA to make that claim. And they, and they typically demand clinical research. And, um, you know, there's a process for being able to say a device does something. Um, if you're, if you're simply saying that it helps manage stress and sleep, uh, that is not actually covered by FDA. Um, if you're just managing stress and sleep, that's considered a wellness device. And so, you know, you're seeing today, there's a, a couple of other uh, neurostimulation products that have come to market that are, say, help um, athletes. There's a device called Halo, uh, uh, a company run by a, a Stanford doctor called Halo that is helping Olympic athletes and, and other athletes um, by simulating the motor cortex, and it, it they've actually shown improvements in reaction time and other things. Um, they can sell and market those products without the FDA being involved. And so I started looking at that about a year and a half ago and saying, well, you know, we have this incredible technology that's clinically validated, FDA cleared, all these prescribers. We can take that technology, put it in a device, make different claims. And by making different claims, it's not like you're trying to avoid the other claims. I and mean, we were still making the medical claims with the Fisher-Wall stimulator, but it's really about targeting a different population, which is someone like yourself who doesn't have clinical depression, who doesn't have clinical insomnia, but can have stress, can have some sleep problems. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say I have clinical insomnia, but I can tell you there are some nights where I can't stop thinking about work. And and this is the only thing, uh, you know, and, and you, you know, having a drink at night Gives you some immediate satisfaction, but it, alcohol keeps you up. I mean, especially if you have it in yeah. the evening, you kind of don't want to have a drink at night. And yeah. so, this is actually a nice thing to have to kind of wind you down. Um, that's how I use it. Um, and so, we're like, why don't we try and 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 get something clinically validated, scientifically validated, into the wellness market organically? And so, uh, uh, I was just really psyched to hear that Ben and yourself, Rick, Ruben, and and and, and you know, we have you know, probably about a thousand patients or so that are using Circadia right now, which is the OTC brand. Um, and we're kind of figuring out how to, how to, we're kind of soft launching it, I guess you could say right now, the last year we, we have, you know, we're still very focused on our medical business, but we're, we're kind of carefully um, trying to introduce this in the right way. So well, I think it's great timing because I'm, I mean, it's crazy, dude. A lot of people that listen to my podcast are, considerably younger than I. Uh, a lot of the audience are female. Um, typically, not the type of person I would look at and go, I bet you're really into biohacking technologies. You know, this, yeah. this kind of stuff <laughs> used to be pretty nerdy and very yeah. guy-centric kind of, I'm optimizing my performance, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. 
man, I mean, I do these events and, and stuff in LA and New York and I get all these young people like, oh man, I'm, I'm using the amp coil. I'm doing this, I'm that. And they, they take the lead, man. And they, they are using these types of things to improve whatever they're trying to improve, you know? So it's, it's interesting now in the time we're in, a lot of people that are uh, in the health and wellness um, space or interested in that, that formerly like drinking a green juice and going to yoga class was the extent of their their use or their interest or uh, purchase um, uh, habits generally are now like, oh, I'll spend a few hundred bucks on a thing if it does what it's supposed to do, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it's neat yeah. to see that. So I'm, yeah. I think it was a, a great move. You know, as you explained when we first uh, spoke about it, you explained, yeah, we have the medical device, but we wanted to get one that was just more general public. You can just yeah. go on the site and like, boom, boom, put in your credit card order, done. Right. right. And not have to go through getting a prescription right. and, and all that kind That's of right. stuff. So super smart business wise and a better service to, uh, to people. Um, there is, oh man, there's a couple of things I want to cover. Sure. Well, I want to get into the the Phoenix study and the addiction sure. element, but before I do, because that's going to open up a whole can of yeah. excitement in my, in my <laughs> mind. Uh, let's let's go a bit deeper into the sleep because mm-hmm. uh, you know my dad has suffered from a, what I would say is clinical insomnia for sure. years, and it's funny because right when I discovered this, which I really believe would help him, uh, he was going through some personal growth and spiritual growth, and. He's kind of like me, like I want to say borderline hypochondriac, but like constantly talking about health problems and supplements and vitamins and diet. And, you know, I think at one point realized that he was sort of getting so caught up and constantly obsessing on fixing problems and things like that, that it on one level was kind of psychologically um, a burden or a, a, a barrier to progress. And so mm-hmm. at, at one point, right before I got this, he sent me an email. I said, Luke, you know what? I, I found something that really works. It's helping my nervous system. He found this modality that he's doing this more psychological, spiritual kind of stuff. And he said, you know, I'd appreciate it if you didn't talk to me about supplements, health problems, any of that stuff. I'm just, I don't want to put my energy on that stuff anymore. And I was like, Dude, respect. I get it. Mm-hmm. I, I I always sort of teeter on being self-obsessed and borderline orthorexic or whatever. You know, I understand the psychological um, ramifications of being too obsessed with such things. So I was like, cool, no problem. I yeah. never said another word about anything health related to him. We're just bros. We go to the hot springs. We have a great time. Then I found this device and I'm like sitting there going, God, I, I want to tell him that. No, I didn't. I, I haven't. I respected his, I respected his boundaries, right, 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 but I'm right, like, right, right. ah, good, you know, good, good, I went good. to stay with him recently yeah, and, you yeah. know, what do you ask someone when you see him in the morning? Hey, how's it going? How'd you sleep? You know, oh, I had a rough night. I couldn't sleep. And I'm just sitting there on my hands like, shut up, Luke. Don't say it. Don't say it. And I, and I respected his thing. But You I'm, can just walk in wearing it. Yeah, you, right. Oh, what, you, you, what, you notice this? You know exactly. <laughs> right. So I, right on. As much as I respect his path and right. his decision to, you know, uh, find another means by which to heal yeah. from his his issues, uh, yeah. I'm kind of just waiting for him to go. Hey, Luke, you heard anything good for sleep lately? Right. Um, but uh, it, this is something a lot of people have problems with. I and, wish my dad would use it, but no, he, but he 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 has not. He has not yet. My he, my mom has used school? it. Your mom has. Yeah, my my dad was a uh, you know he was a. Uh, he had me late in life. He he was actually a drill sergeant in the Korean War. Wow! And 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 uh, and so you know he he plays basketball at six o'clock every morning. He's oh in it. He's God. in his early eighties. Are you serious? Yeah. No. He's he's amazing. Wow. Um, but uh, but but I, I I would like him to to use this just to chill out. 
uh, frankly. Um, but, wow. he, but he has not taken he has not taken me up on it yet. But well, uh, that's that's amazing, man. Good for him. Hopefully, hopefully you've got those genes. Uh, but when it comes to sleep, you know, this is something that thank God, you know, people like Ariana Huffington and some very mainstream people with very loud voices are mm-hmm. talking about like wow, the sleep thing is crucial to your health and it's it's really a hot topic. Tons of books coming out, yep. tons of podcasts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And people still struggle with it despite we're learning to avoid blue light at night. Yep. We've got the yep. blackout curtains like thank God this hotel has. Yeah. Keeping the room freezing, uh, not eating too late, not drinking alcohol after a certain hour mm-hmm. at night. I mean, there's a lot of very basic interventions that we can use, but still many of us, including myself, at times with all of those um, uh, habit changes and upgrades. Still, sometimes your sleep just sucks. It's, I don't know if it's the Wi-Fi next door or who knows what, but I'm really interested in helping the listeners have more quality sleep, especially those that suffer from uh, acute levels of of insomnia. Mm-hmm. So, um, what kind of results are people getting? Uh, any studies? Anything you want to say about sleep? And also. What are some of the common causes of insomnia? I mean, when it is clinical insomnia. So, uh, so it's, there's kind of two basic aspects of insomnia. One is the onset phase, which is people just can't get to sleep. And then there's insomnia where you, people can get to sleep, but they'll, they'll wake up early, three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. Um, you can have both, but but usually it's people with one or the other. Uh, so we do have data on uh, the sleep onset that was done with what's called a predicate device, which is the device that this one was based on for FDA clearance that was on sleep onset. Um, and then we also have data in the Phoenix House study where they actually uh, questioned patients on their sleep quality while they're in rehab using our, using our device. And a lot of them reported improvements in sleep. And th- that's with patients who or early abstinence. So people who were coming off of using alcohol, uh, uh, cocaine, opioids for, and then went into a, 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 a residential treatment session. So obviously didn't have access to those anymore. And, um, and you know, the device helped them to sleep. And the primary thing that we were measuring in that study with Phoenix House, and we had 392 patients, um, 100 of them, use the device with standard of care and the other 292 did not use the device and went through standard of care. And so we, we looked at both groups and the groups that the hundred that had standard of care with her device remained in rehab, meaning they didn't voluntarily drop out uh, at 90 days at a rate 50% higher than those that didn't have the device. Damn. Which is a massive increase. And there's lots of, uh, there's lots of already published data that shows correlation between if you stay in rehab, the chances of relapse are less. And so um, that's the data that Maine Medicaid looked at and said, this is worth you know, us paying $600 a patient to give them a device. Like, even if it only works for half the patients, uh, that's going to save us a lot of money and, and deliver better outcomes. And so um, the founder of Phoenix House is actually on our medical advisory board, unpaid. None of our medical advisory board members have any stock. They're not paid. Uh, frankly, they're they're just doctors who realize that that we have an uphill battle, you know, to kind of uh, position our treatment uh, option on kind of any any level close to drugs, and so they've they help us, and um, you know whether it means 
trying to get studies done, uh, you know, um, talking to other doctors. Um, we'll have, we'll have uh, people talk to them, you know, hospitals and so forth, because they're, they are very highly credentialed physicians. And so um, uh, the way that it helps people sleep, um, I think is there's a number of ways. Uh, one is, I mean, serotonin in general is a, is a kind of building is, I believe it's necessary for, uh, the brain to create, uh, melatonin and some other neurochemicals related to sleep. But I think more than that, if you're modulating default mode network away from fight or flee, and if you're, if you're creating an alpha wave brain state, you're reducing, you're, you're helping people get to sleep by reducing that kind of level of vigilance that they're in otherwise. So, you know, if you can help relax people and, and take the anxiety away, that will help people get to sleep. What we've, um, and this is more anecdotal than research, and we need to prove this out with some more research. So I don't want to say this is definitive, but a lot of people using Ambien, it, Ambien is known to suppress REM sleep. So it'll kind of keep you out, but it, it, it will actually suppress REM sleep. So people, you know, um, when some of the unpublished data that we have shows that uh, that we can restore REM sleep, um, people will actually dream when they use the device uh, vividly. It won't necessarily be violent, but it's just it's just the, there'll be high fidelity to the dreams. That's actually a common feedback we get from patients. I don't know if you've if you've experienced that yourself. Maybe you already dream. Maybe you don't dream. But well, that's funny. I'd be I, curious to hear. That's funny. I I haven't made the correlation. But now that you mention it, I I have been having some pretty pretty out vivid. there dreams, very yeah. vivid dreams. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to remember what I dreamt about, but something very sad happened in the dream, and I was crying in the dream, and I woke up and I was all covered in tears. So it doesn't get much more vivid. The brain's than that. your way of working some stuff out in this dream state. I yeah, mean, I, I it's you know, um, and and. Uh, we, we've worked, I mean, through our board members and other, with a lot of veterans and a lot of veterans have, have, have horrific dreams, uh, where, you know, typically if you're dreaming, you will wake up before you're killed or before you see something horrible and post-traumatic stress patients, they will not wake up. They will continue to see horrible things Ooh. happen in the dream and they don't wake up from it. Um, they've reported that not happening and not having violent dreams with our device. Again, we don't have published data on that, but these are the, these are the details of treatment, right? Um, you know, drug companies aren't looking at dream states on, on SSRIs either uh, in terms of clinical data. But um, when I took antidepressant medication and when I was in my 20s, I, my dreams got a lot worse um, I, I actually found the opposite. I found them to get more violent, more and 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 not as kind of cathartic. Um, so that's an interesting side to this. But just going back, I think it's you know we can restore REM sleep, which is a, I think that's that's what I'm that's what we think we're doing, uh, which is a very restful stage of sleep. Uh, people who are in Ambien, you know, tell us I can I'm dreaming again. Um, you know, and you can actually look at EEG and, and see that. So if you're kind of your own biohacker, you can actually track your stages of sleep. And and we welcome all of our patients to track their sleep. Um, you know, you, you can you can be you can be your own clinical trial. You can, if if you if you're comfortable with 
tracking sleep tracking technology you can you can use our device for 30 days if it doesn't improve your sleep you know yeah, with the Fisher Wallace simulator you can send it back um uh uh and if you know um and so I, I think you know getting people to sleep the onset seems to be where most people are turning to us for who they just they they can't get to sleep and that's where the anxiety reducing properties of the stimulation are helpful right so, and from what I understand, it actually has the ability to lower cortisol. Yep, we have that tracked for our device. We have a published study. It's on our website. Uh, we have two biomarker studies. Um, one of them tracked cortisol levels that That's were reduced. Cool. And yeah. then since there's such a direct correlation between cortisol going down and then melatonin being introduced, I can assume that melatonin's increasing. They're sort of like counterweights the on a is scale. is shown to increase with our device, yes. Right. And cortisol is lowered. Um, GABA is increased and, mm, uh, and, and serotonin and GABA. endorphins. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a, a natural endorphin junkie. Yeah. I love yeah. GABA. Sometimes I take yeah. the supplement like a lot and go, whoa, damn, I feel, <laughs> I, I'm going to get a DUI, I think, if I take too much GABA and try and drive around. Yeah. Uh, okay, so cool. So we've got the... The insomnia piece kind of covered. Uh, the last thing I wanted to get into, which you alluded to, was the 2009 Phoenix study, mm-hmm. where you're, uh, you know, having great results with mm-hmm. with addicts, and you were talking about in the context of their sleep improvement. Mm-hmm. What about relapse prevention and things like that? Because this is very interesting to me and many of my friends that uh, would love to be relapse free forever. Uh, well, the ideally. relapse data. I it, it, just to go back to that data point yeah. is if you could if you're reducing. Uh, if you're increasing retention in rehab, then you are you are reducing relapse. That that that's a correlation that's been proven out. And so, uh, the reason why insurance companies and 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 state Medicaid agencies care about that is because residential drug treatment is extremely expensive. I mean, that's 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 you know that's known. Whether you're paying out of pocket or whether you have a, a public or private insurance paying for it, extremely expensive. And so they're interested in anything that prevents uh, readmittance. And they do have data because they're, it's so expensive. There's done so much research on this that if you can keep people in rehab for 90 to 180 days, the chances of them going back is less than someone that drops out at 30. And so we had, you know, 50% increase in 90 day and that lasted to 180 days. And that was when we stopped tracking data was 180 days. That's impressive um, though, man. And Seriously. Phoenix House is kind of gold yeah. standard. I, don't, I mean, if people who aren't familiar, uh, Phoenix House is the largest nonprofit drug rehab uh, network in the United States. Um, they have, uh, they were, uh, uh, Mitch Rosenthal, who's on our board, who founded Phoenix House, was wise enough to use, uh, you know, donated philanthropic dollars that were given to the organization to buy the buildings that they were doing this work in in Manhattan oh, wow. decades ago. So wow. these buildings are now worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And so oh he's, you know, he actually, ha- he, it's vertically integrated. He owns the building. Um, right, right. And they had to raise some money recently and he, they just sold one building for an incredible amount of money and that helped fund them for another, you know, long period of time. So, um, so, you know, he, he's, he's kind of our, our go-to, um, guy uh, for that. And he actually testified to FDA when we, uh, were, um, going through, uh, a regulatory process, uh, where they're trying to figure out, are they going to reclassify us or put us through a PMA? It's very technical. And he, he, you know, got up, talked about the study, talked about, how important these kinds of um, technologies are for for rehab and 
and uh, and had a very positive effect at FDA. And and you know he continues to work with us as a volunteer on our board. Oh, that's cool. Well, it it makes sense from uh, three three different standpoints. One is um, is encouraging your body to promote pr- promote uh, production of dopamine, mm-hmm. right? Which is you know when you smoke crack, that's what mm-hmm. you're doing. You take a drink, you do whatever. I mean, ideally, Use your phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to get into that. Yeah, that's my current drug yeah, of choice. Right. Exactly. Uh, so you know, we we want more dopamine, and we don't yeah. want to become immune. You know, burn out those receptors, right. and so uh, that definitely. I makes wish we it... had more data on the dopamine that was clinical data, but but yes, uh, there there's been. Uh, some studies with rats with brain stimulation that shows influence on dopamine pathways. Um, so I would say it's promising and and probable that that's, yeah. that that's a big part of it. We don't have like definitive data on dopamine pathways, sure. but it, it looks with, with rat models like very promising. I yeah. appreciate the clarification yeah. and the, yeah. you know, your forthright yeah. nature. Uh, and then the other thing is, is obviously helping with the depression and the anxiety. I mean, that's why addicts and alcoholics do what they do because they have acute levels of both of those sensations. And anything that you can do to me to help right. turn down the volume on those right. the senses. Yeah, yeah. it's yep. like the chances of you then going, oh my God, you know what? F it. Right. I'm just going to the liquor store. Right. I can't deal. I just, I'm just i just reached my top level of anxiety. Or you feel that lower states of depression where it gets down into shame and apathy and you just you can't claw your way out of that. So cool, I'll get some cocaine or whatever it is. That's so right. on that, and then also... Uh, I, I know, <laughs> having lived this life, uh, for better or for worse, is that when when you use and drink, your sleep is destroyed and you lose all sleep uh, hygiene, habits, discipline, and just physiologically, you just don't have the capacity to sleep because you're just, you're, you're up, you're down, you know, depending on what your poison is mm-hmm. uh, and the dose, of course, uh, sleep is just a non-existent thing in most addicts' life. So if you're improving mood, uh, you're improving sleep. You're absolutely improving uh, an addict's ability to stay sober. And I, I'm just, I highly encourage um, any company that's coming up with anything that doesn't have side effects that's going to help people get out of that cycle. Because having been there, it's it's just, it's just a horrendous way to survive. I mean, you don't, you have no life. You don't live. It's, you feel dead inside, and it's just, I can't imagine anything worse than having that be your fate and having no chance of getting out of it. So that's, um, that's exciting, but healing I, sleep, you can heal so many things with it. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. I mean, that's the, that's the anchor to all physical and mental health, I think, and emotional health that just having spent more time working on my sleep in the past couple of few years, I mean, it's had a drastic improvement on my life. So, um, you I know, use I, it for for that reason. I use it every not every night, but I use it most nights. That's what I use the device for. No, the, yeah. the one thing I wanted to to ask about that, you know, back to the the Phoenix House study yeah. and the addictions. Do do we know anything about this type of therapy, whether it's your device or just you know these therapies in general, in terms of not just uplifting someone's mood and improving their sleep, so they're less likely to act out addictive patterns and things mm-hmm. like that. But is there is there anything here that's going to help me be less compulsive with Instagram or, you know, being addicted to Cheetos or just kind of addictive compulsive behaviors in general that you're aware of? No, I, I, I don't, I don't see that. And I, I think, it, you know, um, I don't see, for instance, the device uh, from the feedback we're getting, for instance, helping reduce mania in bipolar patients, it helps the depression, um, but it's not, it will help 
reduce anxiety, but it's but in terms of it's not going to just quench out, you know, uh, manic episodes. It can reduce anxiety, um, uh, but there's more to mania than anxiety. Um, and I I think uh, uh, in terms of the dopamine stuff with cell phones and, and so forth, I mean, I you know, I think that's an un, under um, appreciated. Uh, you know, I, I wish Facebook was was devoting more resources to 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 figuring that one out. Obviously, I mean, there's been interviews I've read with um, Sean Parker uh, where he said when they were creating Facebook, they literally referred to the like button as a as a uh, as a dopamine drug. I read that. Yeah, and so yeah. and so you know. <laughs> we have a billion people using using Facebook and Instagram now. Yeah. Um and and we have kids using it. I have a four year old. You know, kids using Instagram at 10 years old, they have a dopamine drug in their hands. And and with a developing brain, just like it is with, you know, I think that's probably the problem with with Juul and some of these nicotine products now is that, you know, there's just not a lot of research on how they impact young developing brains. Um, and so I do, unfortunately, I, I think there's, there's probably going to be a lot of mental health issues for a long time because of, because of these technologies. Um, and I think most people feel like, you know, pr- the negative effects probably don't outweigh the benefits of social media. I mean, yes, there, there's something nice about being able to share photographs and videos and experiences with family members and friends who are disparate, you know, all over the world. That's a positive thing, but the behaviors that these things have created and and where does that go where does that dopamine fix go when does it how does it translate to other substances i you know that's that hasn't been studied they don't want yeah. that necessarily to be studied i think it's a major problem and also just becoming um desensitized to natural healthy stimuli like seeing someone you love <laughs> or petting a puppy right. holding your kid you know right. the things that Produce Nature. oxytocin and dopamine on the natch that are. That's a great point. You know why? At a certain actually, frequency, at a natural frequency. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Right. But it's like I, I recently right. uh, listened to an audio book. Something to the effect: "This is your brain on porn." Because I quit doing porn a couple years ago, just one hundred percent. I just I can't have it in my life. It's just not good for me. Um, on any, at any level. So I was like, "Huh, that's weird." Yeah, I just feel amazing. Like I do. I never want that in my life again. Why did I ever even do that? That was stupid. Um, so this book, you're bringing on porn and they go and all of the science about how you burn out the receptors for these positive neurotransmitters and your hormones and all of this stuff. And you become, uh, desensitized to real life experiences. And, and I think that's very much true of, you know, the ice cream parlor that's two doors down from my hotel right now that I've managed to avoid Van Lewin's. <laughs> But I, I'm like, thank God it's cold out right now in New York. I walk I by there, that coming over I walk here, by yeah. that and I'm like, Luke, you don't see that. You don't see that. Keep walking, keep walking. But, you know, it's the dopamine of like sugar's always available. Instagram's always available. You know, porn's always available. Pornography's always yeah, available. Yeah, no, and, you no, know, sure. I mean, not think smartphones sure. like, oh my God, when I, yeah. when I was a kid to get pornography, I mean, you had to really dig through someone, for it. someone's uncle right. basement, you know, mattress <laughs> right. or, you know, old right. sticky Playboys. No, I'm sorry. That was disgusting. Um, but yeah. And, and so now this is something I'm becoming more acutely aware of, of man, I don't want, I want less of that artificial stimuli. So, but at the same time, uh, it's challenging because I'm not willing to just quit using my cell phone or quit Instagram because as you said, there are inherent benefits that are powerful. And, uh, 
and very useful. So it's one of those things that we call in in addiction recovery, you have to learn how to walk. You have to learn how to walk. What, what well, motto? What? Right, 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 right. <laughs> you have to right. learn how to walk the tiger. Right, right. It's like, say, right. you know, say you have an eating disorder, right. you're a sex addict or something. Yeah. It's like, well, you can't just, it's not realistic to stop doing those things. Like if you're an alcoholic, you just go, I do not drink, period. I'm done. Okay. And that's, you know, socially possible and uh, it's mm-hmm. possible to stay alive. But it's like, I can't quit using my cell phone or quit having Instagram. It benefits me in so many ways. Right, so um, right, it's right. one of those things you do have to learn right. moderation. Right. But I think if we're naturally, whether you know, using modalities like this or lifestyle, meditation, having loving friends and community yeah. and connection, that if we can learn how to create these states naturally, then I believe in my own subjective experience so far is that we'll be less prone to reaching for those other artificial stimuli, which are then going to damage our ability to actually produce and enjoy those feelings on our own. Uh, I've noticed with my phone... I just got a new car. My lease was up, and so I leased a new car. My new car comes with this Apple Play thing. Yeah. So you, the little center console, you just set your iPhone in there, and there's a little wireless charger, which is probably a freaking EMF nightmare. I had to get over the paranoia about that. I'm like, I, I wanted to get an EMF meter and go around my car. I'm like, no, actually, I don't want to know. It's just, it is what it is. I'm not going to drive like a 75 VW Bug or something. It's just, I have a modern car that has EMFs. But anyway, you put your phone in this little wireless charger, and then the Bluetooth just magically connects to the your, your monitor in the car, and your iPhone is mirrored on the monitor, so I can play Spotify and Waze. Wow. And that's brilliant. Oh, it's dope, yeah. but you don't have Instagram, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you. I guess they don't. Not, nothing that's visual will happen on the screen. Oh, okay. really? You know I what I mean? Okay. And so what you do is you talk to your car. So now I'm like, I'm like, open Spotify. Play Metallica, whatever you know, whatever. Yeah. And I don't listen to Metallica. Why did I say that? Uh, <laughs> uh, strange. I think I did a couple months ago as an experiment, but um, but yeah. Now and I'm like, switch to ways, do this, do that, and yeah. it actually works. You know, like when Siri came out, I'm like, I don't even try doing that shit because it just never hears you right. But whatever they did in the upgrade, uh, this Apple Play thing really works. I said all that to say. Wow, I'm noticing now that my phone is put away in that little center console and charging and I'm able to access the things that I need, such as navigation, music, podcast, like the Lifestylist podcast, um, etc. I realized, holy crap, for like two years, three years, I've been driving around checking Instagram at every freaking red light. Because now I stop at a red light and I'm like, God, I feel empty inside, (laughs) you know? I go, what was I doing before? Oh my God, my phone was always right there and every text and every notification and all that. And so it's really given me some some contrast there to see, oh man, this was was much more habituated than I even realized just from one little change like that. So it's cool. And I think, you know, despite the bummer of EMFs from Bluetooth and things like that, I think as we um, are able to really get more control over the devices and how we use them, it's going to enable us to have a little bit of restraint and to be able to use with moderation. I already have more self-control with my phone just from practicing that, you know, um, using that muscle of discipline and moderation while I'm driving. Because it's one more step. I have to to reach in the center console, get my phone out, put my foot on the brake, zone into whatever the thing it is I want to look at, it's much easier to resist that yeah. than when it's just yeah. out. And yeah. so I think those of us that have these propensities toward being very compulsive and addictive can yeah. um, can make ourselves happy naturally in various ways. And then 
um, change our behaviors and our habits a little bit so that we're not at the mercy of that constant fix. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I, I actually, I, I took Facebook and Instagram off my phone for about four months and then I, I put Instagram back on about maybe four weeks ago. Um, and just having that little break, first of all, in the immediate aftermath of taking it off my phone, I was really aware of when I was tr- like, I was like, wait, I, I want to see it. And, it's not like, <laughs> and so that was interesting. And then when I went back to Instagram, I kind of just pared down my feed. And so it's just, it's a little bit more t- vers- now versus when it was, it's less kind of super stimulating. Like I was following like a lot of kind of stimulating stuff. I mean, you know, um, and and now I have a, maybe a couple things that are like that, and then mostly it's it's more like family friends. I, so I, I find that I've kind of changed what I look at, you know. But I, I think the other really good thing about the phone, which is coming, which is very interesting. There's a company called MindStrong, which was founded by uh, Incel. I think Tom is his first name, Tom Incel, who is head of NIH, and he started this company MindStrong with some venture backing. And he is able to diagnose. He he's now done this statistically um, with with clinical trial data. He can diagnose depression basically as accurately as a psychiatrist psychiatrist can, based on your on how you use your cell phone. Whoa! And so the frequency of your messaging, how and he can actually tell when people are going from say a manic state to depressed state by how they use their phone. And there's now other stuff that's being developed with facial recognition where where algorithms can read your mood based on what the camera is seeing. Um, and so I think there's some interesting diagnosis tools that are now being developed through, through phones. And the other thing I, I like it, that is telemedicine. I mean, I, I think you know, for most people, I mean, if you're in the city, if you're in New York, it's still, it still can be a half an hour to go see a shrink on the Upper East Side if you live downtown, right? But if you're out in a rural area, you know, how do you, you know, or even a suburban area, it's just not convenient to go. And, and I think the difference between psychiatric medicine and, and kind of traditional, like if I have a cold and I go to a doctor, if you have a cold and you go to a doctor, you have a physical problem, they have to give you a physical exam. They take your blood pressure, they look in your, you know, your eyes, your throat. For mental health, there's no physical exam requirement. So you can actually conduct the whole thing over the phone. And um, we're now some of the we're talking to New Hampshire Medicaid and some other Medicaids now that we've got in Maine, and there's a lot more receptivity to having telemedicine be the the kind of point of contact. So if you can kind of remove a physical doctor visit and have that on the phone, um, I think that makes mental health care a lot easier. Uh, it will make it less expensive and a lot more convenient. So. Um, aside from, you know, I, you know, we're, we're Facebook and, and Instagram, what they're doing to us. I, you know, I also think there's, it, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's still pretty new, right? I mean, I, I haven't been yeah. looking at Instagram for that long, right? Maybe two years or, or something like that. Three years. I don't know. Um, so these, these things are going to become, I think also we're going to learn to handle them better and we're going to learn to be better parents about them because we've been through it. Like we know right. what they can do now. And so like, I'm, I'm not going to let my daughter <laughs> become a phone addict. And maybe if it was 10 years ago, I wouldn't have maybe been as vigilant. Um, I may not have known what was on there. Um, 
So I'm actually pretty bullish on on cell phones for healthcare. Uh, I yeah. think you know there's sensors now. Where I've seen um, phone cases that you put around the phone that protect your phone that actually do the heart rate variability and all the stuff. So you you can track your vitals every time you pick up your phone. And so I think there's just a lot of cool stuff that's going to happen through that. Yeah. Double, uh, double-edged sword. Double-edged you know, sword. A lot of possibilities, yeah. Yeah. but also risks yeah. involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kelly, listen, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, dude. Yeah. We got, we got we had a pretty yeah. deep dive. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because my, my um, assistant, Lisa, was helping me with the last recording and she said, do you need me to stay for the next one? I said, no, it's a really focused talk. It's probably just banging out in an hour. It's going to be no big deal. And, <laughs> How long have we been here? I don't even know. Uh, one hour and 29 no, minutes, my that friend. That flew by. Yeah, yeah it, it does. By. It does. I did a, a yeah. talk last night on flow states and one of the, you know, the indicators of flow state is timelessness where you just kind of, you know, have it. And I love yeah. great conversations like this. So thank you. Uh, I've thank learned you. a lot from you about all kinds of things today thank as you, um, have yeah. the members of our audience. So yeah. who then have been three teachers or teachings uh, in your life in any respect that have benefited you that you might be able to share with our audience oh. so that they might be able to look them up and learn from them as well? Uh, I may go kind of out there with that. I, go for there's, it. Uh, there's a book, I Am That. I don't know if oh, you're familiar dude, with it. Are you kidding me? Okay. No. Nisargadatta Maharaj. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I can't believe you just said that, bro. That is next level. That was the first spiritual... That's probably my number one book in terms of... The, I mean, I just... Oh I, I, just, my I get God. blown away every time I open that book. I, I mean, I just... Dude. I wish I had met that guy in person. Um, oh, that is so crazy. That was the first spiritual book I ever got in my life. And all I could comprehend was the back cover where they talk about how there's a building... And then the He's building, in this little room, and, and then the building gets destroyed. And you know, is the space gone? I mean, it was just this. Oh, 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 oh you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's on like the back cover. It's this very. We may have different. Bo- I have like a. It's like a yellow, but but I, I'll check the back cover out. Oh, yeah. Now that you mine was up, the blue yeah. one, and my okay. cousin brought it back from right. India, and he's like, oh, "Man, okay. I found the answer." And I used yeah. to smoke weed, and just you know, yeah. and I would try to read <laughs> the interior of the book, and I just I knew there was truth there, but I didn't understand it at all. But I did kind of get the back cover and it was a window into another sort of version of reality. And that version, I guess you could say, is non-duality from a Vedic perspective. But I never meet anyone that's heard of that book uh, at all. So that was... Wow, you really caught no, me by surprise. One of my favorites. I, ran, I, I was introduced to that book at... Uh at the ashram, Ananda Ashram, oh, cool. uh, which if you haven't been, is, is worth checking out. Maybe next time you're in New York. It's not that far out. Um, and then I, I mean... On kind of the other side of that, I'd say, uh, I, I guess you're asking for teachers. I mean, I look at that yeah, as... Or a, teachings. Um, yeah. I, I mean, uh, as a quick aside, before I co-founded Fisher Wiles with my partner, I actually adapted The Art of War for HarperCollins. So I did that for almost six years. I was I was kind of in... I, re, I read the text by Sun Tzu hundreds of times, and then I adapted it into a graphic novel. So it's The Art of War... Not, I'm not trying to plug my book, but it's like no, it's like a, it's like a no little idea. graphic novel really? uh, that, that that for me it was big. It wasn't little, but and it's commercially it, it, available. Yeah, it was published oh, for we'll Harper put, still up there. We'll put it in the uh, show notes. That's cool. Dope, man. So I I did I I love I love that text. Um, and it has a lot more to do than with just war. I think there's you can actually look at it as as interpersonal war or anything. I mean, there's just. There's so much there. So I, I took a lot and studied that for a long time. So cool. I would say those two books are probably most influential. You got one more? Teacher um, or teaching? Oh, I mean, um, 
I mean, I keep a kosher kitchen with my wife. So I, we definitely have a, we have a lot of Torah, but... Um, That's funny. I just I, uh, spent two hours talking about uh, uh, the Torah. Yeah, before. yeah. I mean, I... I, I, I That's great. I, I, uh, uh, yeah, there, I guess I guess Joseph Campbell probably the cool. third. I I, cool. I think um, the hero's journey and and uh, 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 I just there's something very powerful about even looking at religious religious texts through that lens and and kind of like similarities between Buddha and, and Christ in terms of the how the how the um, the stories of their lives are structured. It's just very interesting. And, and, uh, and I think looking at, you know, our own lives and choices in that, that lens, uh, you know, th th those are just some of the, some of the teachers. Perfect. So, those are great, uh, man. We'll put them in the show yeah, notes. Those yeah. of you listening that want to get said show notes, yeah. go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. However, if you're on a U.S. based phone, you can just text one word to me and I'm going to send you the newsletter every week, including all the show notes like the ones that were just mentioned. If you text the word lifestylist, all one word, all lowercase lifestylist to the number 44222, you'll be instantly added to my email list and uh, you'll get the show notes with all of the links that were just mentioned and everyone to follow. Speaking of links, where can we find you, your companies, social media, anything you want to want to give us that we'll put in the show notes for this episode? Sure. So, you know, definitely circadia, uh, dot info. Um, circadia it, as in circadian rhythm with a C, folks. Yeah, yes. without the N at the end. So just right. circadia, dot info, I-N-F-O. Uh, we actually put a, uh, a, a Luke Story product in the... Uh, on the collections page. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so it's it's easy cool. to find. And um, yeah, and I'll also when uh, I go record the intros and outros for this, okay. I'll put you okay, know whatever cool. codes. I know there were some so, you know codes like that and things. So I'll make sure to fill that in. Codes are yeah. great, but no, we made it so you don't even need that. You can just oh, come cool. and you okay. see it, and boom, it's there. Cool. Uh, and FisherWallace.com is our medical device site. Uh, F i s h e r Wallace.com. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome, dude. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming by, man. Really great to see you. Glad awesome. we got to do this in person instead of a Likewise, lame Skype so much call. better. Yeah, thank you for coming to New York. All right, see you, <laughs> see you next time. All right, take care. So that was some good news, right, folks? Now we understand that we aren't left with, you know, just pharmaceutical and surgical interventions for some of these issues. Uh, there's ways that you can heal just about anything. And one of my highest priorities as host and creator of the Lifestylist podcast is to make sure that I'm always on the lookout for the latest and greatest devices, technologies, supplements, lifestyle hacks, etc., that help to improve your life and really to help people overcome these issues without having to go to the doctor. I can't stand going to the doctor. I don't know about you, but I want to fix my own body. And um, now as I sit here and record this outro, I'm, I'm literally sitting here with the circadia strapped to my head. <laughs> and uh, if I close my eyes, I see flashing lights. It's really fun. Um, I don't know that I can concentrate so well with this thing on, but here goes for the outro. Uh, as I said earlier, you know, our guest Kelly was kind enough to give you guys a $50 discount if you want to check this thing out. It's normally $3.99, but you can save $50 bucks with the code Luke if you go to circadia.info. That's circadia, like circadian rhythm.info. And uh, you save $50 bucks with the code Luke. And you can always find all this stuff at lukestory.com forward slash store. Speaking of my website, listen, if you're going to be in Los Angeles February 23rd, 2019, 
I would really love for you to come spend the night with me. Let's spend the night together at the High Love Experience at Rama in Venice. Really great venue where I've done yoga teacher training for Kundalini Yoga. I do classes there um, on a regular basis. It's an amazing place, really great people. And if you come to this event on February 23rd, you're going to be hanging out doing Kundalini Yoga, breath work, all kinds of really out there stuff with yours truly and a bunch of other Lifestylist podcast listeners. So come hang out with me. Uh, If you want to get into that event, I suggest that you jump on it before it sells out. You can find your ticket at lukestory.com forward slash events. Next, let's thank our three sponsors. First one is Cured Nutrition. Really great CBD products. If you want to check them out, go to curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. Use the code lifestylist and save 10% off. That's CBD foods and products at curednutrition.com forward slash the lifestylist. Next up, my friends over at Juve. Ah, Every time I say Juve, I get happy. You know why? Because right across from this microphone on the other side of the room, every goddamn day, I stand naked in front of these crazy red lights and uh, it makes me feel awesome. Now, I recently added my X3 bar workout to my morning Juve session. It's about 10, 15 minute crazy ass workout. I've got an interview coming up with the inventor of the X3 bar named John Jaquish, PhD, a brilliant guy who essentially created this little plate. I'm supposed to be talking about the Juve, but it's all kind of one, one rhythm, man. Uh, It's this little plate with these gigantic ass vinyl rubber bands, or no, I'm sorry, latex rubber bands, and an an Olympic, an Olympic, um, you know, like lifting bar. And you hook these giant rubber bands onto this plate and you stand on it and you use it like lifting weights, but it works three times as well and three times as fast. And I'm not even shitting you. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not a mesomorph. I'm just tall and skinny. I've always been that way. But I've been using this thing like two weeks. And I swear to God, I actually have a couple muscles. It's the weirdest thing. So I like to stand in front of the Juve before, during, and after I do my X3 bar workout. If you want to check out the Juve, you can go to juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V, juve.com forward slash Luke. Use the code Luke at checkout and they hook you up with a free gift. If you want to find all this stuff, just go to lukestory.com forward slash store. You can find the X3 bar there too. It's badass. Um, they're not one of our sponsors today. It's just um, a new thing I discovered and it's super sick. So thought I'd tell you about it. But you know who is one of our sponsors? Our old friends over at Organifi. Go to organifi.com forward slash Luke. That's Organifi with an I. And those guys are giving you 20% off. 20, 20, man. That's a lot. It's mucho. Big discount. Discounto Grande, my friends, 20% by using the code Lifestylist over at Organifi.com forward slash Luke. If you want to know what to get, start with the Organifi Green and the Organifi Gold, and you will thank me later. Lastly, I want to tell you I've got an online course coming up, my first one ever. It's taken me two years to pull this thing together. It's coming along. Biohack My Travel, the jet lag solution. Everything I've ever learned to make travel not suck goes into this course. It's coming out in the next couple months. If you want to find out first and get in super cheap, go to lukestory.com forward slash travel. Get on the wait list. lukestory.com forward slash travel. If you don't like going to a website, you can just get your US-based phone and text the word biohack my travel to the number 44222. That's biohack my travel to the number 44222. If you text me there, it's going to ask for your name and email, and then I will email you the moment that class becomes available for sale. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lifestylist Podcast with our guest, Kelly Roman. And I'm just going to be your friend right now and tell you to subscribe to the show because 
dude, dudettes, you do not want to miss next week's episode, Buddha, Karma, and the Gradual Awakening with Miles Neal, one of the most thought-provoking, profound episodes of this show ever. That's number 189. Out of 189 shows, this was one of the best. Next week with Miles Neal. Until then, my friends, keep your ears clean until I jump back in them next Tuesday. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.